Well, hello there. My name is Jan Burt, and this is my podcast, The Burt Not Ernie Show, where we talk about God's promises and the hope those promises bring to our everyday lives. Whenever I meet somebody new, I introduce myself as Jan Burt and say, like Burt and Ernie, since it's easy to confuse my last name with a different one. And almost always, people smile when they think of Burt and Ernie. That got me thinking. I'm a Burt, and I'm not an Ernie. But how often do we live as if we're someone God never meant for us to be? Part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Hence the name, The Burt Not Ernie Show. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig into God's promises. Well, hey, hello there, everybody. Jan Albert here. Welcome back to episode number 39 of The Burt Not Ernie Show podcast. Let's dive into a couple of verses from the Old Testament today. Bear with me while I read them from the Amplified. And uh, and I say bear with me because you might at first think, I don't know how this is a promise for me. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how it is. So 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 18 and 19 from the Amplified. And I may just uh, read them from the New Living Translation in a little bit later on in the podcast. So he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For Atalia, the daughter of Ahab, became his wife. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 19, yet for the sake of his servant David, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah, since he had promised to give him a lamp and enthroned descendant through his through his sons always. Okay, so we have... Um, we have some yuck things going on, and we have a promise that God keeps in this passage. So, okay, so it may seem like a strange couple of verses. I get it. Um, but, you know, when it when I was reading this in my daily reading, it just jumped off the page of my Bible. Have you ever had that happen where it just jumps off the page of the Bible to you? And it was interesting because this was not jumping off the page of my Bible for me. I just knew that the Lord had this for somebody else. There's there's a one. There's a one who's going to listen to this at some point in time. This is going to be for them. And so I'm really excited to sort of be speaking to the one today more than just um, in general terms for all of us. So if you're the one, lean in and listen and Lord bless you. And if you're not, I hope maybe you might run into the one in your circle of influence that you can encourage in some way. Okay, so I know that the Lord has so much hope and promise and just like a when this jumped off the page at me, it was like there was this deep down in your core belief, belief for somebody, for somebody that this was going to be exactly what they needed. The word of God calls um, a fitting word at the right time, like apples of gold in settings of silver. It's just perfect. Now, I don't really decorate with golden apples in silver bowls, but I get that the imagery is that it's perfect. It's perfect for the exact right time. Okay, so this is not random. When God has a word for someone, it's not random. God really, really put that on my heart. I was, I was just almost um, struck by the the reality that the, these words are going to have a big difference and make a big difference for one. So if you're that one, I really hope you get a new glimpse, a new understanding of how much God loves you and how dearly He cherishes you. Okay, so a little bit of history, and you can you can read more about this era of time in the history of Israel in Second Chronicles chapter twenty one. It has a lot more kind of background about this passage, but I'm going to go a super quick, um, pretty fast overview 
of this little hunk of time historically. So Ahab uh, is not really a God-honoring king at all. He married a woman named Jezebel, and she was really dark. She was into some really evil, just bad mojo things like Baal worship, which is super, super occultish, really dark stuff, really dark stuff. And she had hold of the king of Ahab. And via her hold on him, she had hold of many aspects of the kingdom. Now, this is God's promised land. These are God's people. Um, a Baal worshiper and, and occultism were ju- just not in in his plan for his people. And I know that you know that, but that's just you're your framing it so that you can see what was going on for the people living in that land at the time that this verse from 2 Kings chapter 8 was penned. Um, okay, so you've got Jezebel married to Ahab and uh, just not good days, not not the best days in the history of Judah and Israel. And it was a split nation. When we talk about Judah and Israel, just in case you don't know, um, there was a, almost like a mini civil war. There was like a split that happened. They didn't fight the way that we fought in our civil war in America uh, so much. It was more like they just broke off from some of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, some of them did not approve of a certain leader. Uh, rightly so. If you read it, you'll go, wow, I don't really blame them for not submitting to that. That's a pretty harsh way to kick off your kingdom. Way to go. Uh, and you can look it up and, and see who I'm talking about. Solomon's sons were not necessarily, there's just some issues there, just some issues there. So there's a separation and uh, you have Judah and you have Israel, kind of like two countries, um, definitely not living, worshiping, functioning the way that Moses and David had instructed and set things up. Those two, I say in particular, because they had really divine insight from the Lord as to how this nation was to live, right? And worship is a huge part of living for the Lord. Um, and so the things were not going the way they needed to be. So you have Israel and Judah, um, and the, the 12 tribes of Israel sort of got lost during times of exile. Think about the book of Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, when uh, the people of Israel, God's people, were in exile. Some of what happened was just um, they didn't know their history anymore. Now, for me, it's not that big a deal to know the extended genealogy of my Irish ancestry on my father's side of my family. It's not that big a deal. For them, it was a terrible big deal. And a lot of them got lost. They didn't really know what tribe they were from. Um, And you end up having um, just kind of lumped together as Judah, right? Does that make sense? So when you hear someone use the word Jew or Jewish, it's a derivative of Judah. And it's kind of... um, always makes me a little bit sad because I think, oh, how great would it have been if they had each known their own individual tribe all the way back? I mean, maybe maybe it's not really that big of a deal, and it just is to me. But anyway, that's that's sort of the, the division that happened and then the losing of pieces of who they were. Um, so you have, that's where the name Judah comes from. Of course, he was one of the names of the of the of the original 12 sons where the tribe tribal names came from. But you have Judah and you have Israel. Okay, so... Um, It's just sad to me. I don't know. So there's more to this, but let's just move forward real quick. Ahab was the seventh king of Israel. Uh, Solomon, or newsflash for you, Solomon's name from God was Jedediah. Did you know that? Isn't that great? God's name for him was Jedediah. And I liked the reminder of that when I was reading this passage, because um, this might be an encouragement to somebody. How often do we live under names that mankind have given us? And we don't step into the name that the Lord God says is who we actually are. Yeah, it happens a lot. It happens a lot. So um, 
if you've been given the name Solomon by man, and God says, oh, you're Jedediah, man, lean into that and live as Jedediah. Live as the live as who you are according to who God says that you are, absolutely. So um, Solomon, Jedediah, would have been the third or fourth king. Um, I always thought of him as the third, but you get to study in this stuff and you realize there's some discrepancies and some people call him the fourth king. So I'm just going to go with third. I'm going to say the first king of Israel, King Saul, then his father, King David, and then Solomon. So he was David's son and David's successor. Being a successor to the king is a big deal. Being the successor to the king when you are one of many sons through many wives and you are not the eldest. Um, yeah, that's just... There's a lot going on. You're stepping into a big role, way bigger than you can imagine. So after um, after Solomon, Jedediah died, the kingdom split. Uh, you have Now you have Ahab coming on the scene later down the road. He is doing more evil. The word of God says Ahab did more evil than his predecessors. And that's in 1 Kings 16, verse 30. This is not good. This is not good. His wife Jezebel was a Sidonian. She led Ahab to worship Baal. Now, I don't put all of the blame for what Ahab did on Jezebel. She has plenty to uh, that she can that she can be accountable for to the Lord. Certainly not to me. But Ahab, um, nobody can make you follow. Somebody can lead you somewhere, but you have to follow of your own volition. If that makes sense. So, was he kind of entrapped? Sure, of course, enamored, whatever. Um, under her spell, so to speak. I'm, I'm sure he was, but he still followed of his own volition. So they both, I don't want it to sound like I'm picking on the woman in this story. I'm not. They both have plenty of evil that they're responsible for, by all means. So, uh, but this is bad stuff, worshiping Baal, child sacrifice. She was a fanatic. You know, we get the word fan uh, from the word fanatic. It's just a shortened version of fanatic. So if somebody calls you a fan or a super fan, um, you you can always under your breath say, don't oh, call me that. I am not fanatical about, uh, I'm not a fanatic. Like I, I do that sometimes. I don't want things spoken over me that I, that God would not speak over me, if that makes sense. So, and sometimes we use words, um, like some of you have probably watched the, um, you know, the, the social experiment, um, show. I think it's on, I don't know if it's on Netflix, but um, I've heard about it. But anyway, it's one of the points it makes is that only drug addicts and social media um, people, consumers are called users. Users. uh, It's very interesting language. I don't want to be called a user in, in any way, shape or form. I don't want to use people. I don't want people to use me. And I don't want to be so given over to some entity or influence that it consumes me as a heroin addict or something might be, you know, it really can rule their life in heartbreaking ways. My father was an alcoholic. So uh, this is not me getting on my preachy pants is saying it can really, when you're a user, it can, it can take over your life. And I don't want anybody using me to garner information about me just to try to constantly sell me stuff or, or for whatever reason, right? So uh, that's kind of a background of my why words matter and why I'm careful with what people speak over me. So Jezebel actually was a fanatic, a thing that none of us really wants to be. So back to our passage here in 2 Kings. Um, you have the divided kingdom and you've got just this mess in the days of King Ahab. And there's there's serious wickedness in the highest offices of leadership at this point in time. And maybe... Uh, maybe what we discover here in verse 19, just maybe it's not what we'd necessarily expect to see as 
God's response to this kind of evil and wickedness in the highest offices of his country, because it is really his kingdom, right? Look, I'm not willing and I'm certainly not able to speak for God. All I know is what the word of God says. I mean, I've got God's word. Thank you, Jesus. I've got uh, commentaries, access to commentaries and and the great scholars of old. I have the Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you, Lord, to bring enlightenment and help me understand what I need to understand. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things is what Jesus said. So verse 19, it says that God was not willing to destroy Judah. Why not? Were they not wicked enough to be destroyed? Well, in my mind, and maybe I'm just looking at it too simplistically, but in my mind, the mere mention of the even the possibility of Judah being destroyed, of Judah's destruction, that indicates, that tells me that they were plenty wicked enough. Hey, I'm not judging them. Look, I live in a country, in a world that has so much wickedness and sin and evil. Uh, It just goes, you know what I'm talking about. I don't even need to, you, you know what I'm talking about. If I say human trafficking, you know what kind of wicked and evil I'm talking about. Look, I don't get to judge the level of their wickedness, not by a long shot. I just know that God's word says Judah and destroy in the same sentence. So that's that. That's where I get draw this conclusion from. I don't think it's that they weren't wicked enough to warrant God's discipline or intervention. That's not it. This is they were wicked enough. Bad stuff was going on. And Baal worship, look, there's only one God with a capital G, and he ain't sharing his throne. He just will not do it. The creator gets to decide when the folks that he created are doing the no-no stuff, right? No, 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 no. He decides when we're pulling a no-no. So um, he knows when they're not being good girls and boys. They were not being good little children, that's to say the least. And they probably deserve some discipline. Like probably, yeah, probably do. But the amazing part is the why behind God's decision to not destroy Judah. It's amazing. It's amazing. He had promised God had promised. So I'm going to look at it from the New Living Translation real quick. But the Lord, but the Lord did not want to destroy Judah, for he had promised his servant David that his descendants would continue to rule. They would continue to rule, shining like a lamp forever. Okay, so God didn't want to destroy Judah because he had made a promise. Excuse me. That's amazing. I love that. I think you can see why... I got excited about this when the Lord kind of had this jump off the page to me. Has God made you a promise about one of your children, maybe a promise about, um, I don't know, your marriage, about your future, your health? Has God made you some kind of a promise and, and maybe the promise is for that particular child and that child has gone rogue. They are a prodigal to the extreme and you can't see it happening and you know they deserve they deserve the exact opposite of mercy and grace. You know they deserve it. You you may have raised them in the church. They know the word of God. They don't have an excuse. Well, I didn't know. I didn't understand. You know that those things are not true, that they do understand, that they do know. But man, they're just in full tilt rebellion against the Lord. And you are heavy hearted about it. If God made you a promise, he'll keep his promise. Even if we warrant destruction, If God made you a promise, he'll keep his promise. God had made a promise. When God makes you a promise, listen up now. When God makes a promise to one of his children, that is it, period. This verse says, no holds barred. 
no bones about it, no mincing of the words, no possibility was left that he was going to change his mind. Nope. What's true is just the reality that God keeps his promise. That's true for us today. If you could strip everything away and boil it all down, I want to tell you the most true thing in your situation right now is the ironclad reality that God will keep his promises to you. God keeps his promises. That is the truth. And it's your truth. It's my truth. God makes great promises. They're big. They're bold. They're huge. They're unbelievably tremendous. Like the scope of the kind of promises that God makes, they're, they're mind-blowingly big. And God keeps them, every single one of them. Every promise he has made, no matter what. No matter what. Now, if you're listening to this podcast I'm going to assume that you are not looking for an excuse to fall into the whole hog trough of wickedness like Ahab was in, right? Um, And I absolutely would never condone that. Yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Totally agree with that. It doesn't mean I'm just going to go throw myself in headlong into vile and evil sin. That's not why Jesus went to the cross, when he says he wants us well, when he says he wants to give us freedom and not to be burdened again by yoga slavery, he means it. We don't want to run headlong back into the horrible things um, that led us into such bondage and darkness, not for any reason, right? So, but, but the darkness that we have, we have maybe dabbled in before we came to Christ, the sins that we have committed since coming to Christ, none of that, none of that breaks God's promises. Okay. No matter what means, no matter what he can't do anything other than keep his promises to us. He won't do anything other than keep his promises to you. He absolutely won't. I do encourage you to hate and fight back against sin, but never, never, never let your junk or the junk of other people, you know, that they have, don't let that convince you that God will not keep his promises. This verse is proof that he will, he will. And did he not keep this promise? Oh yeah, he surely did. All the way to Jesus, all the way to Jesus, the King of Kings, the King of Kings, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, doing what? What is he doing right now? He is interceding. For who? For you and for me. That's who. Hey, the more I talk, The more I talk, the less you should think that God's promises are not going to happen for you. The more I talk, the less it should be in your mind or in your heart that God's promises aren't true for you. They are. They absolutely are true for you. They can't not be true for you. My goodness, look at this. They were worthy of total destruction. And God said, but I made a promise, so it's not going to happen. That's incredible. That's incredible. The wickedness they were heaping up, the vileness that was that was uh, coming before God. These people would have been offering sacrifices on the altar of God that were that were just absolutely in the front. The blackness of their heart. It was an insult to Him. It was an affront to God. Um, it rose like a stench in His nostrils. That this did not please Him in the least. He is holy. He is so holy. It, it's not like He's just ignoring it. He can't ignore the kind of fragrant wickedness that they were involved in. Child sacrifice, God's not ever turning a blind eye to that. That kind of stuff sickens him at his core. 
And in fact, the Old Testament says that such a thing I would never even think of. That's how God describes it. Such a thing I would never even think of. I couldn't even imagine it. It's so evil, child sacrifice is. So you need to understand that this is this is serious, serious wickedness. And yet, I mean, and he was misrepresented to all the surrounding nations. They would have known these people said they served the one true God. And he was being so wrongly, you know, represented just so poorly. It was terrible. And yet, and yet, he kept his promise. He kept his promise. And thank God that he did. We have a Savior who came through this line. There had to be someone on the throne that descended from David in order for God's prophecy and promise to prove true. So he will not fail. He will not fail to prove true to all his promises. He really won't. He, he won't. He can't. He can't. Okay, so, so he's interceding for you and me. Whoever needs to hear that, God bless you. God bless you. He's interceding for you right now. Um, you know, for some of us, it's almost fulfillment time. For some of us, it's just almost here. It's almost fulfillment time. Could be later on today. It could be. It could be tomorrow morning. You could wake up and the fulfillment of that promise that you've been waiting on, it could happen. It could be... Uh, it could be in 10 days time. And why not? Why not? Sure, believing your promise is just around the corner has the potential to be hard. It might be just around two or three corners. But what does it cost you? What does it cost you to live in doubt? What does it cost you when you have to live in unbelief? What does it cost you? It costs a lot. Let's see. It will cost you... Um, it's wise. The word of God says it's wise to count the cost, right? So uh, so let's count the cost of doubt, the real cost of doubt. You will be downcast. You will be discouraged. You'll be afraid. You may be angry, uh, just even angry with the Lord. You bitter. Bitterness can come in. When the promise does end up proving true, which it always does, you'll not be able to really enjoy it because your joy got taken in the midst of all your doubt. Yeah, count the cost of unbelief. It's never worth it. It's never worth it. Unbelief costs us a lot. It costs so much. It's way more expensive. It's way more expensive than just choosing to believe. I'm going to say that again. Unbelief and doubt is far more expensive than simply choosing to believe. So why is it that the default for so many people is doubt? Well, here's why. Hard Truth 101 headed your way, okay? Here's why. Some of us, okay, I'm just going to say it. I can say it because I've lived it. I've been this person. Some of us like being grouchy. Some of us like being angry. Some of us like being unhappy, being bitter, feeling uh, sorry for ourselves. I'm just going to say it, feeling sorry for ourselves. You don't belong in a pitiable or a self-pitiable state. You don't belong there. Sometimes we like it. You need to make a decision to um, not live there, even if you like living there. How true is that, that we actually like some of these horrible things? Well, here's a nickel's worth of free advice, okay? Stop liking it. Stop liking it. Don't live there. Don't remain there. Um, look, I know, I'm, I know I'm getting fired up about this part, but I'm telling you, please don't live under any sort of self-pity. Don't do it. It's so dangerous and so not worth it. I remember clearly the day that the Holy Spirit just spoke to me in my mind, not an audible out loud voice, just inside of me, just said, Jan, you're allowed to like your life. You're allowed to enjoy your life. And I was like, whoa, that's amazing. For some reason, I had just gone down this trail of 
um, maybe if I was just more serious and more pious and more whatever, I would be uh, a better Christian, a better friend, a better wife, a better mom, you know, not be flippant and not be smoking and joking all the time, but be serious. But my seriousness took me to a place of lack of enjoyment. I had no joy anymore. And to have the Lord say, Jan, you're allowed to enjoy your life was so freeing. And it was all I needed. Just that one little bit of, um, you know, verbiage from the Holy Spirit directly to my heart totally did a reset on my life. I knew all of the things in a moment, in an instant, I knew all of the areas of my life where there was no joy, where I wasn't enjoying the living, the life that God had given me. And if you need that, I'm giving it to you today. If you need to hear that, I'm I'm speaking it to you today. If you need permission to enjoy your life, permission granted, baby. So stop liking those ick things and being so used to it that we don't know another way, get unused to it. Live in belief because living in unbelief costs us so much. When it when the bill shows up and it's time to pay, um, it's like 300% interest or something. Just we can't, we can't pay that. We're going to quit paying that right now. We're going to move forward in faith. Have you seen uh, that movie Miracle? It's like the 1980 Olympic hockey movie. You probably have. If not, you know, you can watch it. It's really... Um, it's pretty darn clean for sure. You can watch it. I think it would be maybe an encouragement to some people. So when the coach is talking to the team just right before they played the Russians, right? So they played the Russians in, um, it was in a medal round, but not the gold gold medal round. It was like a runoff round. So it was going to be whoever, eh, whoever lost this was going to be battling it out for another medal and whoever won it was going to be battling it out for another medal. So, and the winner of that next one was going to win the gold medal. So the next was the silver gold round, but you didn't know exactly who was going to be playing who because it was a runoff, right? So, uh, but it may as well have been the gold medal round because Russia was so good. They were so good for so long. Uh, It'd been like 20 years that they had dominated. I mean, these people were unbelievably good and this team, um, our U.S. team, was really doing the impossible, doing the impossible. So in that locker room scene, the coach says some things like, you might play them, t- you know, play them 10 times, they might beat you nine, you know, but then he he says, not today. And I just love the way he says it with that, um, whatever his Michigan accent, not today. Can you say that to yourself about living with a kind of enjoyment, enjoyment, and just discarding unbelief? Like when, listen, when... Um, Enjoy your life, yes, but sit in judgment over your unbelief. When that unbelief comes in, you say, you say in that uh, hockey coach voice, not today. There's no room for you here today. Hit the road, Jack, and don't you come around no more. You cannot be here. Can you start saying, not today, and do it in that accent if you can, not today. Not today. I love it. It's so funny. You've got to watch that movie. You really do. The whole scene is so great. You might play him 10 times. It might be this nine. I'm sick and tired of hearing about how good the Russian hockey team is. Not today. It's your time. Their time is done. I mean, you need to say that to your doubt, to your unbelief. Your time is done. Your time is done. I'm sick and tired of hearing about it. I'm sick and tired of hearing about it. Your time is done. Not today. Watch the movie. Say that to yourself and know that what I've spoken here today is true for you. God's promises cannot fail to come to pass in your life. And remember this passage from 2 Kings with just wickedness heaped up and judgment that was due. It was due. It had been hard earned. They had bought and paid for it. God's promise still 
triumphed and trumped all. And I want that to be true for you. It is true for you. I want it to be true for you in your heart and mind before you turn that corner or turn the second corner and turn the third corner, whether it's today, tomorrow morning, in 10 days, or several turns of several corners down the road, I don't want there to be any room for hangups or hiccups or bitterness because you knew it was coming to pass and you never doubted and you enjoyed your life in the meantime. And every time doubt showed up and unbelief showed up, you said, not today. All right, that is it for this episode. And next time I'm going to be back talking about, um, uh, actually, we're going to be in Isaiah, also in Matthew chapter six. So I hope you'll join me next time for episode 40. Lord bless you guys. Um, Man, you guys are just the best listeners ever. When I get like a text or an email or a comment or something about a podcast episode, it literally just blows my mind and humbles me because I really do just want to say what God puts on my heart to say and nothing more. And I'm thankful for every single person who listens. And I do pray for you that you would walk in the light of God's promises because boy, are they ever good. They're good. They're good. All right. I'll catch you back here next time. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of the Burt Not Ernie Show. It's an honor and a blessing to talk about God's promises with you. Have a fabulous day. And remember, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Lord bless. I'll see you next time.